This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Push Up Brentford podcast. Push Up Brentford is an oral history project set to commemorate the last year the club will play at Griffin Park, their home for 116 years. We have interviewed fans young and old as well as players and managers to uncover their personal stories. We have created a fascinating living history of Brentford Football Club, starring the people who have made it such a special place over the years. This project is run by volunteers, many of them Brentford fans and supported by the art and education charity Digital Works. This episode is called The Big Match and covers some of the ups and downs of supporting Brentford. You'll hear stories of memorable games, home and away, along with a few people would rather forget. Rainy afternoons at Stockport, chocolate bars raining down on the pitch, picnics on sparse terraces, the joy of a chip keeper and the tales of some of Brentford's great rivalries over the years. We hope you enjoy the many voices and stories you will hear. It was escapism, really. You know, all the frustrations of the week, the working week, came out on a Saturday afternoon when you could sh- shout and swear and generally just let off steam uh, with no responsibility, of course. It was always everybody else's fault, you know, the idiot on the pitch who just missed an open goal. So you just get, get all your energy and frustrations out of your system and obviously celebrate when we, when we did have a good game and we won. It, the people seem to have a thoroughly miserable experience and say, I'm never going to go back there again, and then, of course, carry on doing it. And I'm, I'm as guilty of that as anyone myself. Um, and, yeah, it was that whole general experience that people would just not actually seem to be enjoying it, and yet <laughs> they do come back, and we come back every time for it. You know, there is something. It's, it's so deeply ingrained that you can't get away from it, yeah. It was... As a young kid, like in my teens, standing there, it's just sort of visceral excitement and adrenaline. I remember once um, Gary Roberts scoring against Liverpool in the League Cup. Uh, I think we lost, we, we, we did lose anyway, reasonably heavily. And Liverpool were, you know, in their pomp at the time. But just to score that goal and... Uh, the sheer adrenaline rush of that, that oh, we were, we were, we'd scored against Liverpool. It was absolutely incredible. And it was, you were sort of cheek by jowl with, with other people. 
and you'd got you'd get moved around and it, you know it wasn't like the cop at Liverpool obviously but it was our our version of that and there was a chip shop just around the corner which uh, I remember kind of having a always wanting to queue up for the chip shop to get chips before we came uh, as an adult or as soon as I could you know meet in one of the four pubs around the ground uh, and probably about three quarters of an hour before the match uh, I, I like the fact that the pub's vastly overcrowded uh, that you're surrounded by other people who are uh, who are you know all going to the game, uh, so I try and get you know a quick pint or so in before the match, uh, and then inevitably turn up you know five minutes before kick up you know kick off. Yeah, so for a long time I used to go just football on my own, and uh, after a while, um, one of my friends uh, Lisa and I managed to convince her to come when we played Tottenham in in the cup, I think it was that day when you know, it was raining and raining and all the programmes were in plastic, weren't they? And I brought her down um, and we stood in the place where I used to stand with my mates and I remember the ball coming down, they go smash and the, in this big puddle we all got completely soaked and half a new road were killing themselves laughing. Um, and then she started coming to football with me quite regularly. And bear in mind then as well, half the time you're stood on the terrace, like you're not you're not got people all over you. Do you know what I mean? You could like you could swing a cat, you could swing a big cat, a large large cat could be swung on the terrace at that point. So yeah, I, I, I remember the smells. You could really, yeah, I, I could really vividly remember the smell of like railjacks and the like the muscle um, ointment that players used to put on their legs beforehand and pipe tobacco and boiled onions and stuff, stuff that's long gone now. Another incident which occurred was in uh, a November, and I can't remember the year, where Millwall visited us and they threw a hand grenade onto the, onto the goal. Uh, in behind, uh, I think it was Chick, I think it was Chick Brody again, uh, and it turned out to be a very, very good fake. But it was, it looked and seemed like a hand grenade. And Brody saw it, called the referee over. The referee called all the players down to the other end. He was at the Ealing Road end, and uh, some guy, a police officer, came onto the ground with a pail, a bucket of sand walked over to it gingerly, looked at it, and to our amazement, he picked it up, put it in the sand and walked off. And then we had this season with, uh, with two players, Andy McCulloch and, and Stevie Phillips. Uh, but Stevie Phillips was the kind of character you never get anymore in, in football. He was quite short, he was quite tubby. Uh, I strongly suspect he had a pint or two, you know, in the evening and, you know, eggs, beans and chips before he played. Uh, but he was kind of cheeky. Uh, and, um, and and quite skilled. And, and there's a moment, and I can't even remember which game it was now, uh, where we were, where where he one on one with the keeper. Um, he reaches the edge of the penalty box and he chips the keeper. And I know that sounds like nothing now when you see it, but I've never seen anybody actually chip the keeper. You know, and then he turned round to the rest of the crowd like this. You know, uh, uh, um, and, and to me at that time it was the you know the greatest you know footballing achievement you know uh, I'd ever seen. The Chomp Saga. The funniest thing I can remember on a match day was when we were throwing Cadbury's Chomps after scoring goals. So there was a time in the late 80s where um, there was a player called Kenny Achimpong um, playing for Lake Norient. And during a game, Kenny Achimpong came past and some, somebody started singing Chomp at him. And I think 
a bit of chocolate was thrown on the pitch. Not that you should condone such behaviour, but it kind of grew randomly. And uh, every time Brentford scored a goal for a period of time, these little cabbage chomp bars were were thrown on the pitch, which was it, it was really funny. It was. Like, or maybe it was funny because we were just young and stupid. And maybe there was a lot of Brentford fans that probably cringed at that. But f- being, being on the Neuro Terrace uh, at the time and scoring six goals in a game, I remember, and it just raining chocolate. And players walking, you know, running past on the wing and picking bits of chocolate up and eating it and throwing them at kids in the crowd. It was, it was a bit bizarre. When my son was little, I'm, I'm talking not even two, we used to pack up half the house to bring the children. So my daughter would have all her art supplies, scissors, paper, glue. Um, I'd bring a blanket, pillow, flask for Ewan, who would always fall asleep during the second half, first half. Um, as soon as he fell asleep, we always scored a goal. So it would be like, sleep, 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 prodding him to sleep. But I remember standing on Brick Road watching a game. I don't know. It can't, and I remember looking round and there was this bloke stood a little way from me and he was the next guy to me and he was stood sort of over here. And no word of a lie, he was reading a book, he was reading a novel and he stood there on that terrace on a Tuesday night and it was your classic sort of Tuesday night in February. It was, I think it snowed a bit. And this geezer just stood there and he read a book. He don't want to watch the game because to be fair, the game was shocking. And he's reading his book instead because, I mean, you might as well. There's no one around him, but he don't need to be there, do you know what I mean? He could be indoors reading his book, but he's not because he's coming to a game because it's Brentford and so he's coming to the game and he's standing on that terrace, even though it was horrible. Martin Allen years, um, we were always punching above our weight and getting to the playoffs, we knew we'd run out of gas, we knew we'd run out of steam. And we were playing Sheffield Wednesday at Griffin Park and very quickly it, it became clear that this just wasn't going to happen. The players had given it everything, but they had nothing left to give. The playoffs were out of reach, the dream was over. But something magical happened in that second half. Um, Almost like an appreciation for what the team, and particularly the manager, had managed to achieve that year. The crowd burst into the theme tune of Martin Allen, which was the great escape. And it rang around the ground for 30 minutes solid. Everyone cheering. Da-da, 30 minutes, everyone to a man sang. The atmosphere was lifted, it was emotional. We knew we were gonna lose, but it wasn't gonna, it, it didn't matter. It was no longer about victory, it was about support, it was about community, it was showing the Wednesday fans, but more importantly our own fans, that this defeat didn't matter. We were gonna be here next year, and we were gonna, to use the cliche, go again. And it makes no sense. Football rivalries make no sense, except in a way Brentford makes more sense than anybody else's because uh, back in 1967, uh, when we were on a rup as a fourth division club with no money, QPR attempted to effectively buy us out, uh, uh, take over the stadium uh, and and end Brentford Football Club. QPR would have played at Griffin Park. but, but actually, that's not my reason for really disliking Rangers. Uh, uh, um, there's something about the idea that they think they're a really big club 
Uh, Rangers are under the illusion that their rivalry is with Chelsea, whereas Chelsea have long since forgotten that they exist. Uh, and there's something really pleasurable about reminding them that their real rivals are us. The, the rivalry with Queen's Park Rangers didn't really exist um, until mid to late 60s. You know, it was obviously local, but I don't think it was fierce in the same way that they kind of pretend that we haven't got any history and they've got all the history. I found a photograph yesterday from 1949 and it said the first time the two teams have played each other for 16 years because we'd been in the top flight and we, you know, we hadn't played them because we had to meet them on the way down. I remember one season when we played QPR for the first game of the season, the opening game at home, and we beat them 6-1. What a great start to the season. And I think they finished near the top of the league and we got relegated. Obviously it's always been QPR because my family support QPR. And so, you know, I that bit, that bit that is real rivalry, which is shit, this really better go well because I just don't even want to imagine how much bother I'm going to get if it doesn't. You know, that little sick feeling that all. You know, that for me, largely it comes for QPR in a way that it doesn't with other, other teams. The great rivalry when I first started coming to Brentford was Watford. Um, Watford were the, the team that everyone hated. Um, and there was, there was scarves sold outside the, the Royal Oak Ends that said Watford wankers on them. Um, wish I still had one. Um, that changed, you know, Graham Taylor became their manager, they got promoted to the top division, they left us behind for many years, so that, that, um, that rivalry kind of subdued. I was raised to believe that the rivalry, the main rivalry, was actually Watford, which is what the youngsters don't understand now with the QPR and the Fulham thing, so it was Watford. I remember being at Wembley um, in the Freight Rover, I think it was called then, in 85, we played Wigan, lost at Wembley. I know you're going to be shocked by that. But they brought out um, Elton John on the pitch and everyone booed him because he was chairman of Watford. If you know your history, you know about when Brentford played Fulham, you know, back in the early 80s and they got relegated from the division above and they, they played us in that one game where they beat us 1-0 in the 71st minute and that was, you know, season they got promoted and they came in the Royal Oak and they tried to do their shenanigans in the Royal Oak and everything like that. Fulham, you know, would come to Brentford and they'd cause problems, you know what I'm saying, on and off the pitch and that is kind of just what happened. And uh, I'm not condoning it, I'm just saying this is what happened back in the day. And when you're young, 14, 15, 16 year old, you remember those days. And then it carried on all the way through the 90s with us and Fulham. And we kind of rose up to be a better team than then until they got the money injection. And then the money injection eventually over time, they kind of overtook us. And anecdotally about Fulham, um... When we were when Fulham were before Mohamed El Fai bought them, they'd slumped into the fourth division, uh, and uh, okay, my, my Chelsea supporting friend and I it, it, it went down to to see them. They were bottom of the fourth division or one off bottom of the fourth division, and I went down to gloat, 
uh, just to watch a red football play, and they were playing, I don't know, some other fourth division side. Uh, I went to gloat. Uh, you know, look, you're rubbish now, and we're great. And, and I went, you know, I got into the ground, and, uh, and the ground's really nice, isn't it? It's a Craven Cottage, a lovely ground. Some old boy was selling lottery tickets, and I thought, I, I, I can't hate you, you're just like Brentford. Uh, uh, so, so I fail in my, uh, uh, my uh, rivalry with Fulham, my, uh, although I'm supposed to hate them, uh, I don't. This is Carl almost entirely from a conversation in the Griffin with Councillor Luke. Though the motorways don't go there, you get there. And though it's ten miles north of nowhere, you get there. Through howling wind and driving rain, by knackered coach or virgin train, and then there's getting back again. But you get there, you get there, you get there. Though the beer is always horrible, you get there. The only chip shop shops at half past twelve in the afternoon, but you get there. And though the lino's half asleep, and their away ends ankle deep, and their supporters smell of sheep, but you get there, you get there, you get there. Sometimes it happens, most times it don't. But that don't mean today it won't. And if you're there, you won't forget that moment when it hits the net. That last minute away game goal. Oh, oh, maybe next time. And if it happened, who'd believe you? But you get there. Your partner, children, dogs and goldfish leave you. But you get there. You get there. And when you've barely strength to crawl, it just takes longer then, that's all. And then the reaper comes to call. But you're halfway up the motorway, away to Hartley Pool, and you get there. 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 Brentford were playing away to Stockport on a Friday night, and my friend Peter had a car. And we said, well, for a laugh, let's, let's just drive across from Nottingham, where we were students, to Stockport to the, go to the game. And we went, found our way into a pub in Stockport. Uh, and Stockport at that time was struggling financially and they just, controversially, they just put up their prices to, to 10 shillings. It was a lot of money. I suppose we were probably paying, I don't know, three or four shillings to come here. Um, so we didn't know where the ground was, never been there before, but 
had a pint in the pub and just asked one of the locals, excuse me, can you tell me where the, where the football ground is, please? The football ground? Stockport? Stockport County? Half a quid a time? You're not going there, are you? We found our way to the ground and um, I think it was, it was, the scores were level a few minutes from the end. The ball came across, John Amara rose, and he was, I don't know, he was about seven foot tall, this guy, and he just nodded it in the net. One nil, a few minutes to go, at which point the manager, Frank Blunstner, just took his glasses off, put them in his pocket, got up and walked off. It's a job done, that's it. You know, that, was, that was the strategy, that's how it worked. So Pete and I then had a nice, had a very happy drive back to Nottingham late, late on a Friday night from a very cold Stockport. We played Workington in, um, in, in, the, in the early 1970s and uh, the coaches set off at midnight because um, I think they, the motorway system wasn't so good in those days and, and Workington is a very, very long way away. And um, yeah, the club, the, we actually set off at midnight because I think the club figured that you couldn't really get here at four in the morning. And so we arrived and we arrived at sort of um, in the Lake District at sort of like nine o'clock in the morning. And there was just like a couple of hundred football supporters in Kendall not quite know what to do with themselves because we weren't allowed into the town. And it was just, and it was, and it was Bedlam. And, and then we got there and we lost three nil and had a thoroughly miserable day out. And <laughs> Uh, but the worst experience of mine was when we were in the um, FA Cup we'd drawn Telford. So I thought, what the hell, I'll go. You know, uh, you know Telford were a non-league side with no history at all. You know, we, we're a Brentford football club. I drive for an hour and a half down these winding roads. I get to Telford. We are absolutely appalling. Uh, I'm, I, I get, I'm, I'm in some sort of industrial shed uh, with probably 300 blokes from West London who are being humiliated in a small town they've never been to before. We lose 3-1, we're dreadful. Uh, um, and as I was leaving the ground, uh, um, I heard some elderly bloke next to me saying, the first time I went to see Brentford, we were, we were, there were 30,000 in the ground, we were playing Everton, look at us now. My father and I went on the trip to Portugal in 1988, where I believe there were nine Brentford supporters. So that, but it was great because there were so few of us that we actually shared the coach to and from the matches with the team. And the team sat at the back and the supporters sat at the front. I have to admit our trips to Birmingham are always, they're always really, really quite shady, you know. Birmingham back in the early 90s were, they were, they were on another level. They used to do that old school thing where you come out of the way end and then you're walking back. I mean, they used to drive in those days. You go back to your car and then they go, excuse me, mate, you've got the time. It's like proper old school, you know what I'm saying? You've got the time. And then if you sort of say, it's, you know, it's half past eight in a Cockney accent, bam, and they'll just hit you, you know? So we used to do that. But, but I remember there was one time when um, we were playing them and I'm pretty sure it was a cup match. It was a night game and all the Brentford were in the side section at Birmingham City and uh, beside us was the Birmingham fans and they just separated us with like this mesh. I remember because there's one guy in particular, I'm not going to mention his name, but you know, this guy who's sort of a member of our crew, he was really, really winding up the Birmingham fans up really bad and they were like, like I said, probably hardcore. Then what he did is he looked at the time 
And he thought, right, thank you very much, everybody. I'm off. And he left about 10 minutes before the end. <laughs> he just left, right? And we're like, where are you going? He goes, oh, it's looking, it's looking a bit dodgy. I'm going to go now. So, he, so you've, left, you've left us. You've completely wound them up. And, you've, and he's like scarpered. So he was gone. So then we walked out of the ground and there was about 500 Birmingham just waiting for us outside the ground. It was like, it was quite scary. Like, you know, but, you know, it, it worked out fine in the end because, again, you know, knowing how to go into lots of matches and how to negotiate yourself away. So that kind of happened. I mean, I've been to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of away games, but the game that I think I'll always remember the most will be Peterborough away in 92. Um, we had to win to, to get promoted to, to League Two. Um, and it was a game where it was edgy um, and everything went our way. And again, Birmingham didn't win that day. We did win that day. We went up as champions. And those scenes, I'll always, always remember. Not only did we win and not only were thousands and thousands of Brentford fans there, there was a race back to Griffin Park after the final whistle and the players were in the same race pretty much and we wanted to come back here to, to home to celebrate it and you know the scenes went long into the night and that, that whole day will always be something hopefully you know I'll never forget. I used to run an unofficial travel kind of uh, uh, outfit Brentford called the official unofficial and the reason why it's called the official unofficial is because it was, it was totally unofficial you know you got really lambasted if you ran any unofficial coaches because the police wanted to know exactly who was traveling where they were traveling to and how they were traveling but what I did is I just kind of like basically kind of polled a load of people said look this is how it is again there's no internet in those days stuff like that Right, what I'm going to do is that we're going to meet at a secret spot somewhere, kind of like what they did with the acid house parties in the days, where they were just, you know, people would ring up, you know, and say, where's energy going to be? You phone up a telephone number, they'll tell you where it'll be, and you meet at a service station. It was like, right, every time we changed our leaving spot, so we never left from anywhere around Brentford, we'd just leave somewhere, you know, you ring up on the Friday, say where we're going to leave, we'll turn up, the coach was there on a, on a, on a Saturday, it'll take a route which is completely not the same route as all the other coaches take. We had a host on the coach with a bow tie. And what he used to do is he used to get all this duty free, right? So the coach, when he used to go to Europe, he'd stock it up with duty free and then his fridges will be full of duty free. It was, I think it's 50p for Estella. We'll end up stopping off in a pub in the middle of the country somewhere. So if we go to Birmingham, we'll stop at a pub in the middle of, sort of, it wouldn't even be in Warwick, it'd be like a little village in Warwick. I would have done a pre-phone call, but I've got from the good pub guide saying, hello, you know, my name's uh, Peter Asquith, you know, and I've got, uh, you know, my croquet party coming down. You know, would you like to be, give us some lunch? And they'll go, OK, great, you know. So all of a sudden the coach will turn up. We'll turn up this lovely 14th century pub, you know, and like uh, sort of 40, you know, guys and girls would sort of kind of pile out. You see people, you know, they've got the tables laid out for the croquet party. Their eyes are like, oh, my God, like, you know, next minute, you know, we go inside there great atmosphere, we'd have a right laugh, next minute I'm on there because I play the piano you know, for football every night, so I'm playing the piano, the whole village is out, they're all going off and it's just, honestly, it, was, it used to be such a laugh. Because there was such a negative vibe on football fans and there was the whole violence thing going on, everyone presumed they were all like that, but we kind of were like, we're not trying to show people, we just want to have a bit of a laugh. On the train one day we started to um, build, how can we form a group 
and we went with a nickname of the Brentford Cider Boys. We were gonna form a pretend firm and see how far it took us. So we became the BCB. We were the newest firm in town, non-violent. But what's this thing gonna take off? We brought flags, the BCB. Every game for an away game, all aboard the Strongbow Express. Until one day we went to Swindon. This is probably four years of doing the BCB thing. And, you know, we probably had a few too many Strongbows. We're shouting, but, you know, nothing too, uh, nothing too angry, nothing too aggressive. But singing loud, supporting the team, maybe giving a little bit to the Swindon fans to our right who took it all in good spirits. Then we notice on the walk back from the grounds to the station that we've got company. There's a vehicle following us, a big white vehicle. It's a police van. It's following us back to the station. And we're like, that, that can't be for us, can it? What, what did we do? And so we decide that we're going to split. We're going to divide. We're going to really test the police to see, are they following us? This surely can't be us that they're, uh, they're, they're in hot pursuit of. So we're going to, a, um, going to an off-license, four more cans of Strongbow, of course, and they go our separate ways and meet up at another pub which we designated in Swindon Town Centre. When we get there, the same police van's there to greet us. When they come in, they tell us that they heard the BCB were in town and we had to leave Swindon straight away. And brilliant moment of that was they put their hands behind my mate Big Lou, they take him out, and as he's leaving the pub, he's shouting, but I've just ordered the lasagna! I've just ordered the lasagna! Before he was kicked out of the pub. Our fake Brentford firm was on the radar of the police. Who knew? A negative side of when I went away was when we went to Chelsea um, for the FA Cup a few years ago. And actually, we just took a really weird bunch of fans, I think. Because it, it was just like, I don't know whether they were regular fans or whatever, but they just seemed to be really aggressive. And they spent a lot of their time actually swearing at the opposition versus actually even watching the game. It slightly put me off going away because actually you're not necessarily sure who you're going to end up with. And actually we didn't feel that comfortable and that's probably the first time I haven't felt particularly comfortable going to being in Brentford or supporting Brentford. Leighton Orient away, which was just not just the, like a good away, like the whole day was fantastic. Um, we had the, uh, you know, sneaking a bit, <laughs> sneaking a bit of booze on the train. So we all had, we all we all went to um, Richmond Station and got um, all the gins in tins and poured them into Sprite bottles. So we were like all the way there on the train on the special Sprite, which was great because we decided to go straight to the ground where they weren't selling alcohol. So pff, uh, I don't know if I've been able to cope with it if without without the little special Sprite. One journey I remember in particular would be a game at Peterborough where once again we're doing our strongbow thing to the ground and we're, uh, we're trying to challenge each other to see how many uh, ciders we can get through before getting into the game. So we enjoyed a train journey up there and we enjoyed the town before and then we think, you know, we haven't quite hit our target yet. We need to bring some cans into the match. So, find a local off licence. Who's going to smuggle them in? I'll do it. Walking in like the marshmallow man, at every single gap in the in the coats or the trousers, I've uh, crowned with some uh, uh, you know an extra value tin of cider. Right, when can we get in there? We're gonna we're gonna make our move to the ground. In we go. Right, Lou, you go first. I'll go in the middle. 
you'll take the attention of the stewards and I'll get into the ground. It worked like clockwork. We celebrated, this is gonna be good. We're gonna have, we're gonna have cans on the terrace. We're reinventing the rules, but we get in one minute late. As soon as we get into the, uh, the, the ground at London Road, we look up, there's 13 seconds gone, and already our goalkeeper's been sent off. It's a penalty to Peterborough, and um, yeah, it was more like drowning your sorrows, witnessing a 7-0 defeat. There wasn't much to celebrate after that, I'm afraid. This podcast was presented by me, Jatin Gutapali, and in this episode, you will have heard from Brian Burgess, Paul Stedman, Jim Lavac, Dave Christie, Gemma Teal, David Lane, Edward Cohen, Claire Paleshka, James McKeegan, Billy Grant, and Natasha Jocelyn. The music was written and performed by Rob Johnson. The podcast was produced by Digital Works. If you would like to hear all of the unedited interviews or find out more about the Push Up Brentford project, please visit www.pushupbrentford.org.uk. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.